everybody. We've done it. We've made it to the end of every animated movie and piece of media under the movie tag on Disney+. Plus. We've seen them all. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, hold on. There's a lot. I think it's 12. It, it, it jumped while I was while I was talking, so I'm not entirely sure. I lost count. Um, I'm very tired. I, this is the day after I got my uh, second Moderna shot, and I have been fighting fatigue and sleepiness all fucking day. But I've actually done a fair amount of recording, and uh, I, I I feel pretty good about that. So hooray! Um, but yeah, this is the the final chunk of movies on Disney Plus. Um, at the time of recording, uh, if there are enough new videos to justify another full length one of these, maybe I'll uh, circle back around. But I feel pretty accomplished with what I've done here, and uh, I've already got my next uh, subject matter for movie review in the pipeline. Uh, so hopefully everybody will enjoy that, as hopefully you will all enjoy this. Um, there is uh, at least one movie in here. There's a couple of, of pretty good movies in here, if I can recall. Uh, these are all like the weird ones, the ones that were added to Disney Plus uh, after, like, after Disney bought like Fox. It's it's those movies, um, the vast majority of which I have not ever seen. So hopefully uh, people enjoy them. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I'm going to go to bed because I'm fucking tired. And yeah, have, enjoy, sweet Jesus. I can talk. I swear to God, I can talk. Oh boy. <sighs> Doc McStuffins. The Doc is in. It's on the list. So don't fucking at me. Um, I don't know, Dick about Doc McStuffins, but I'm guessing they're a doctor that, like, helps fix toys, because it's the McStuffins thing. Um, possibly. I'm not entirely sure. It's definitely meant for preschoolers. I can tell you that for free. The similarities between this and, like, Sesame Street kind of ring a bell with me, because it's like they bring in live-action people to talk to these animated characters, which kind of is weird. Um, but what's also weird about this is that it seems to be about the fucking pandemic almost because the first thing the show teaches you is to wash your hands and it's all about taking care of yourself i think there's a little bit about hydration in there as well which could be seen as like just generally good advice which it is you know you want to you want to stay hydrated and you want to wash your hands and all that stuff and whatever um that's basically all i really have to say about it i mean it's meant for preschoolers what more do you want uh it's definitely not a fucking movie it's it's an episode it is an episode of the show um, and that's, that's pretty much where it taps out. Uh, so if you have preschoolers, it's probably going to be fine. I don't have a lot of experience in watching stuff like that designed for preschoolers as an adult. Um, but I, I mean, I remember watching things when I was like, when I was super young, um, like secret agent Oso, I thought was great. Um, Chuggington was definitely up there. Um, and then, of course, when I was, like, super, super, super young, I would watch Sesame Street and all the Disney movies when I was a kid and stuff like that. And, you know, Muppet Babies or whatever. And I'm sure there's other stuff that I watched when I was a child that I would be like, oh, yeah. Um, but Doc McStuffins was certainly after my time. But, you know, there's, there's definitely an audience for it. There's new kids all the time. And they need dumb things like this to watch. Um, and if that's, uh, if that's what your kid likes, then fingers of the thumbs straight out. I'm not even going to give it a rating because who really cares? It's, it's for preschoolers. So there you go. That's the thing. It's on the list. I did watch bits of it. So there you go. nine's Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol. Directed by Robert Zemeckis for some fucking reason. Um... I'm not a big fan of the animation stylings of this or any of his movies, to be perfectly honest with you. He had this, like, I don't know, there, there's a very particular style, and it's very much driven by motion capture, but it's not done particularly well, and all the movements seem very clunky. Um, like, I don't think they move particularly naturally um, to me, and I don't know. Some things are 
are done okay. You'd almost say like there's 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 a certain sense of like realism to them, and then other things are not done very well. Like uh, the ghost of Jacob Marley looks like absolute ass in this movie. It looks like it was ripped from a video game. Like you could see the triangles in his eyes. For God's sakes, it's like incredibly low res for some reason. Anyway, um, out of the the versions of a Christmas Carol I have seen, this one holds uh, pretty accurate to the original book, more so than like Muppet Christmas Carol does. The one thing I was really looking for was the scene where Scrooge looks out the window and sees that fog is just made of like the, the damned souls that are doomed to walk the planet forever. And the movie has that. So I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Um, the, 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 the performances are fine. It's a fairly decent cast. I like Jim Carrey. Um, and it's rare to see him do something fairly serious. He's also all three of the ghosts and his accent work in the movie is pretty okay. You know, uh, he has an Irish accent when he's the ghost of Christmas past and he has a Yorkshire accent when he is the ghost of Christmas present. And of course the ghost of Christmas yet to come doesn't speak. So and there's that, but by and large it does capture everything I was, I could think of from the movie or from the original tale that I haven't seen in other renditions. It, it does touch on those. So there is that. It, it is it is the most truth to the original adaptation I have seen. Um, that doesn't necessarily make it a better movie though. Like with Muppet Christmas Carol, it really does, fo it tells you enough of the story and enough of what's going on in order for it to not be terrifying. And I think that's where this movie goes wrong. It is incredibly dark because it includes everything from the original. This shit would terrify me if I was a child. There are some images in this movie and there are some scenes and some concepts in this film that are incredibly dark. Way darker than it needed to be. Is it what the original story was? Yes. Is the original story pretty fucking dark? Yeah, it is. It's pretty it's pretty fucking dark. The idea of eternal damnation doomed to walk the planet, the the fucking uh embodiments of ignorance and want that follow the ghost of Christmas present like it gets pretty fucked up. Just kind of by and large. Pretty much every time a fucking spirit leaves, prepare to get spooked. Like that's that's the thing with this movie. Um, and a lot of people kind of railed against this movie because of that. It, it was definitely a choice, and you can't say it's not in the original because it fucking is. But it's it, it certainly does narrow your audience. Um, I imagine there's like a cult following for this movie uh, of people who are like, it's the best version of A Christmas Carol. It's not bad. I've seen worse interpretations of A Christmas Carol. Look at you. Fucking springtime with Rue. Um, but it's it's... It is, it is dark. It is, it is very dark. Um, and as I already mentioned, the animation does not do a lot for me, which is kind of a big deal because that's kind of what the whole thing was about. It also has the air of being designed to be seen in 3D, shit flying at the camera and stuff like that. The movie's a spectacle. Like, it, it shouldn't have been because it's fucking Dickens, but for some reason there's like a lot of, a lot of like, Scrooge being just like tossed around and like big epic set pieces and it's almost like a roller coaster at times like it, it feels like you're supposed to have seen this in IMAX 3D and you're just like along for the ride is what this movie feels like um like it was designed to be seen like that and then of course when you don't see it in that format all of these things become blatantly obvious and none of it was necessary to tell the story none of it which makes it superfluous which makes it bad and that's kind of how that goes like, I don't need to be on the edge of my fucking seat for a goddamn Christmas Carol. I know what the story is. Everybody who went to see this movie knows what the story is. And what you're doing with these long, drawn-out scenes is just wasting everybody's time and making this movie, like, a good hour longer than it needed to be. So, yeah, I don't I don't agree with many of the creative decisions made for this movie. Um, while I appreciate being faithful to the original source material, I don't... I don't think that this is the movie to do that with you know like most of dickens's stuff has some fucked up things in it kind of comes with the territory of writing about that particular time in history that particular time in history was pretty fucked up a lot of terrible things happened to a lot of people 
So I get it, but this the story has endured because of the message of it, not because of what was actually said. Most people don't know the original. And so when this came out, I bet a lot of people were like, what the fuck is this shit? And then you got assholes like me who go, no, wait, hold on. This is all legit. This is all in the original book. And then they go, I don't remember. This wasn't in the Muppet one. And that's when I chime back in again and I go, the Muppet one has almost nothing to do with the original. Both of these movies do the exact same thing where they take lines of dialogue straight out of the original book and put it in their movie. They both do it. Because there are some really great lines in that original one. But of course, once you've seen one... All you ever need to see of this story is one version of it. I don't care which one. You'll figure out which one you like. But seeing multiple different ones just forces competition between them. And that's when whatever like your favorite one is will kind of always win. And everything gets compared against it. And nothing can, can compete, you know? Because it's the same story. My, my version has singing and Muppets. And Michael Caine. Therefore, I win. Like, that's that's just it. it it's a fine interpret... Or actually, you know what? I'm going to say it's an adaptation. It's not even interpretive because it has so much of the original stuff that it is like straight up, here's the book and here's the movie. They're basically the same. Like, that's, that's what this movie is. So if you want to experience how fucked up the actual story of A Christmas Carol is, Jim Carrey's version will get you there. If you just want a fucking whimsical Christmas tale with adorable Muppets and some really good songs and it tells the moral of this tale better, Muppet Christmas Carol. Muppet Christmas Carol is the essence of the story done right. This is the story. The essence is still there, but it gets buried underneath all that spooky-ass scary shit. Which, again, if you're under the age of, like, fucking 14, this movie's probably gonna fuck with you pretty badly. There's a lot of shit in here. And it's not great. It's super not great. So, that being said, animation knocks it down a bit. The acting's okay. The music's great. Alan Silvestri, who uh, did, like, a bunch of the Marvel movies. Great score. Um, and, of course, it's the story of A Christmas Carol. Even though I'm not a big fan of it, I can still recognize that there's some stuff in here that makes it worthwhile. But, like... I would have given it a 7 out of 10. I appreciate the spooky stuff is in there. I really do. As a person who's actually read the original book, and if you don't believe me, just listen to my audiobook version of it. It's right fucking there. Um, I think the scary stuff takes away from what this tale of a Christmas story is all about. The point of it wasn't the scary stuff. And this movie does a little bit too much of the scary stuff. And he even tries to, like, inject some humor into the scary stuff, which doesn't, it just falls completely flat for me. So because of all of that, I'm just giving this movie a 5 out of 10. It, it, it is, it is, it just rides in that middle. Could have been a 7 if it wasn't a spooky, but it's going to be a 5 out of 10. I'm not splitting the difference and calling it a 6. It doesn't deserve it. 5 out of 10. I keep wanting to call fucking Horton Hears a Who, Dr. Horton Hears a Who, because it's Dr. Seuss. And I even, like, typed it in like that when I tried to look up the, the Wikipedia page, because, of course, I always look at the Wikipedia page when I talk about any of these fucking movies. Um, because I like to, you know, give credit to performances and stuff like that, if I think they're good. Um, this is probably the best Seuss adaptation I've seen outside of, like, the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is probably my favorite version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I mean, I've seen them all. You know, you got the Jim Carrey, you got the Cumberbum, Biffle Snitch version with Illuminations, and then you've got the original. The original is probably my favorite, so that one wins. But this one's pretty good, I gotta say. Um, it captures the the essence of the story, a person's a person, no matter how small, pretty well. Um, it, it definitely has some, like, uh, it's a kid's movie kind of moments, but they're not too egregious. Um, the movie isn't funny, uh, which is kind of surprising giving its cast. I mean, the, you know, the first five names on the billing are all incredibly funny people. Uh, like Jim Carrey, Steve Carell, Carol Burnett, who's one of the funniest women ever. Um, Will Arnett and Seth Rogen. I mean, those are all objectively funny people. And they have been funny in a lot of stuff. They're just not particularly funny in this one. And indeed, Carol Burnett plays the bad guy. 
um, who is the most Karen-like kangaroo I've ever seen in a movie. Granted, not seen many Karen kangaroos, but this one takes the cake. She is, she is something. She's, she doesn't even get a name. Her name is the Sour Kangaroo. Even fucking even Morton has a name. Or Vlad Vladikov. But no, no, no. We got the Sour Kangaroo. So, there you go. Um, yeah, animation-wise, it's pretty good. All the grass looked very fluffy. Uh, very Seussian. The, they tell the story well. It's, it's well animated. It's got a lot of those Seussian tropes, like big complex instruments and people just being silly. Uh, the conflicts of this movie are fairly low stakes. Uh, even when they're, like, roping up Horton and imprisoning him in a cage for believing in things that Karen the kangaroo says are impossible, you know. Um, but let's talk about the plot, because, hey, everybody likes when we do that. So, you basically have a world that exists on a speck of dust. And the speck of dust lands on a flower where Horton the elephant can hear it, because, of course, he has giant elephant ears. And... You know, he talks to the mayor, who's played by Steve Carell. Uh, and Horton the Elephant's played by Jim Carrey. Um, and they start talking back and forth. And Horton's like, I'm going to change your whole fucking world by telling you that you live on a speck of dust. And uh, Horton basically tries to bring the speck of dust to a place of safety. So they, you know, don't die horrible deaths. Um, hold on a second. I've got something in my eye. And it's killing me. I just made, like, guacamole. And I think I got, like, some lime oil in my eye because it just burns. Um, there's nothing in there, so I'm guessing that's just what's going on. Anyway, so he, he goes on this journey to bring the flower to safety. He's attacked by, like, a Russian vulture, performed by Will Arnett. Eventually, the Karen kangaroo forms a mob to go after Horton because, you know, mob mentality. And eventually, the Who's make enough noise to be heard. And everybody knows that Horton was telling the truth, and the Karen kangaroo basically loses all of her power be that she gained by just being a little bit of a bitch. So, there you go. That's pretty much the whole movie. Um, narration is omnipresent in this movie, which is fine because it's the Sioux story, and that's kind of what one would expect. I mean, that's pretty much everything you could say about it. It's fairly innocent. It does the job it's intending to do. It's animated pretty well. Music is fine. Um, but, like, I've... <laughs> I've now seen, like, two Jim Carrey movies kind of back-to-back, -back, and I'm like, neither of these movies really showcase, like, I don't know, Jim Carrey's abilities to be, like, a really funny actor. Like, Christmas Carol was a fairly serious movie, and it's not that he did a bad job, it's just, that's not what most people think of Jim Carrey. And this movie, I don't know, there's just not a lot of opportunity to really be funny in this movie because the movie isn't very funny or at least I didn't think it was very funny um when I think of like iconic Jim Carrey movies I think of like The Mask or um hell Sonic the Hedgehog you fucking killed it in Sonic the Hedgehog you kidding me that was iconic Jim Carrey I loved that shit um but at the end of the day Horton Hears the Who was perfectly fine if you're looking for like a movie adaptation of Horton Hears a Who for some reason well here you go Here's the only version of that that exists. And it's fine. It, Horton hears that who real good in this movie. Six out of 10, let's move on. So this one is, um, is, is a weird one. It's called Epic. It's based on a book called The Leafmen and the Brave Good Bugs by William Joyce, who actually helped write the screenplay for this movie. Um, I have no idea why it's called Epic. Nobody in the story is named Epic? It just doesn't make any sense. So I don't know why it's called Epic, but you basically have a movie that is... Um... You know what it actually reminds me a lot of? Is that fucking Tinkerbell movie... Where the guy is an etymologist and he believes in the, like, you know, they find, like, the weird painted bugs. And then you have, like, the, the, the child um, who, like, has a relationship with the fairies and stuff like that. It reminds me a lot of that movie. Um, and I believe Epic came first, so. There you go. This is by no means an original idea. This idea of, like, a, a tiny person society in the forest and... Um, they are, they're interacting with the, with the humans, or as they call them in this movie, stompers. Um, and then there is a force out there to destroy the forest, uh, performed by, uh, Christoph Waltz, 
Um, and he does an okay job. Uh, I don't, I don't think his particular voice makes for an intimidating villain. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that, but that could just be a preference of mine. It's not that I don't like Christoph Waltz. I just don't see him being, you know, I don't think he's, he's a frightening individual. Um, I, I think he would, uh, like to solve problems with hugs, um, more than anything else, but that could just be me. Uh, Amanda Seafried does a pretty good job as the main character, MK. She's got a love interest uh, named Nod, who's played by Josh Hutcherson, who I believe is from... What do I know you from? I mean, you've been in a bunch of things. Were you in... What the fuck? Oh, apparently you're in Howl's Moving Castle. I didn't know that. Um, but I'm sure if you saw him, like you saw a picture of him, you'd go, oh, that guy. Right, 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 right. I gotcha. It's that one. Uh, and then Colin Farrell as like the, the dad character. And then it kind of degrades from there. The queen was voiced by Beyonce, which is fun, but she wasn't around very long. And then Steven Tyler is a worm. I don't know why they felt like he needed to be in this movie, but there he was. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a queen. She's picking your air. Queen gets offed. Um, they need to hatch the air and then human gets shrunk down to be one of the tiny people. Um, and through a series of wild adventures, they eventually get to um the the place where they need to bring the pod in order for it to hatch the moonlight and it hatches and picks the new queen and it all ends happily ever after and unlike most movies where it's like i don't want to say goodbye the characters go well you don't have to you're part of us now you'll just be big and we'll hang out all the time and they do uh afterwards so it's kind of that ending where it's like you know you don't have to leave the new magical world you just found you're still a part of it you're just bigger now um which is which is fun I appreciate that ending because more too often a movie will end where it's like, we can never see each other again. It's for the best. Bullshit. I always hated that crap. Um, and, and you know, this is finally one of those stories where it ends pretty happily. You know, they all, they all still get to hang out and stuff at the end of this movie. And I appreciate that because it's, it's just a nice sweet ending. Um, I appreciated the writing of this movie. Um, it kind of, it kind of struck me from time to time. Uh, how how nice the writing was. There's this interaction with a taxi driver really early on, um, and I I loved that interaction. Um, there was the line where it's like uh, she's talking about going to meet a complete stranger or talking to a complete stranger, and the taxi driver's like, "Complete stranger, you and I go back almost 20 minutes," and I thought that was great. That's just a really funny line. Um, so that was good. Animation's really nice. Um. The music's pretty good. I would have said this was Patrick Doyle, but it's actually Danny Elfman, which kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, the story's definitely not super original. There's elements of like Fern Gully and Avatar, those sorts of uh, stories. Uh, there's also a really strong like borrowers feel, but the closest movie I could compare it to is the Tinkerbell movie I already talked about. Um, those are basically like one-to-one. This is the Tinkerbell movie, just like... For a much wider audience, and just done better, I would say. Um, it's it's more interesting to me than the Tinkerbell movie was, even though they are both remarkably similar. So that all being said and done, it's a pretty good movie. I have no idea why it's called Epic. There's there's no reason to call it that, um, but it's it's pretty solid. So I would give this a seven out of ten for anybody that wants to watch it. So there you go. Also, terrible news. It looks like Disney Plus has removed the animation tag under their movies. So now what I need to do is click all movies and manually search for the animated movies I haven't seen. So thanks, Disney. I, I'm glad I am almost done with this. Otherwise, you really would have screwed me with that. <music> 2017's Ferdinand. Because... This is just a very long list of things that Disney didn't have a hand in making, and then they ended up buying. Anyway, and with Ferdinand, it's actually really weird. So, the original story of Ferdinand the Bull came out in 1936. The animated short Disney produced came out a year later in 1937, and the original score of that short was reworked and included in the 2017 uh, movie of Ferdinand, even though, at the time... It was not a Disney property. This was made by Blue Sky Studios, known for Ice Age and stuff like that, a subsidiary of 20th Century Fox. I just thought that was interesting, where it's like there was still Disney stuff like involved 
in this fucking movie um, in order to to make it. Um, Ferdinand, of course, classic story of uh, of the gentle bull who doesn't want a bullfight. He loves flowers, man. He's the best. Everybody loves Ferdinand. Um, and it's it's a very uh, the movie is very strong in um, Spanish bullfighting culture. So naturally, uh, who do we get to play the lead Ferdinand Bull? You know, somebody who represents that culture amazingly, right? And who do we get? We got John Cena. Okay. Well, that's you know what? That's a choice. Um, I. Okay. Um, right. Well, it's okay. We got we got other bulls. We got other bulls. Who we got? We got Guapo the Bull. Everyone loves Guapo the Bull. Who we get to voice Guapo the Peyton Manning? <sighs> Alright. Who else we got? Bones? Anthony Anderson? How about a Highland Scot Scottish Highland Bull? You know, the big hairy ones. Who we got? David Tennant. Oh, David Tennant. It's from Scotland. Cool. The casting, I don't know. Seeing seeing the Book of Life, which did a really good job in, in terms of casting. Like, pretty, you know, the movie was all about um, Mexican Day of the Dead culture. A lot of people from Mexico in that movie. A lot of Latino people in that movie. And I fucking love that. Not so much in this one. Um, when the top billing for your Ferdinand the Bull movie are John Cena and Kate McKinnon from SNL. I feel like you missed a step. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, it's not that they did a bad job. I just feel like there a, a more, more effort could have been made for, you know, a more tonally sensitive casting, but that's just me. You know, that's, that's my opinion. Whatever. Music's fine. Animation's okay. Story's pretty good. Almost made me cry at the end. So, you know, I, I it's not like I hated this movie. I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought it did okay. It's kind of simplistic, um, but that the bullfight at the very end of the movie got me um, for sure. Uh, that one hit me right in the right in the feels. So that was great. Um, and the ending's really strong. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a simple movie, but it does what it sets out to do. Which is basically tells this story of a bull who grows up, loves flowers, eventually kind of gets wrestled back into bullfighting, gets chosen to go into the bullfight, refuses to fight, wins the fight by being, you know, Jesus, basically. And then goes off and lives in his field of flowers at the very end of the film. Um, it spends a little too much time in, in dumb traits of movies of this kind. Unnecessary slow motion, dance sequences... Um, those sorts of things are, are a little, a little bad. Um, there are a lot of voices that I feel like are representative of the culture of this film. Um, but most of them are relegated to side characters or comic relief, which honestly might be worse than like not having them at all. Um, because then it seems like they're more of like just kind of there as background fodder or there to be funny. And I don't know that's. That's, that's probably, like, my biggest issue with that is the casting of this. I feel like they could have been more on the ball of that. Yeah. Um, outside of that, uh, the biggest issue I had was how did Nina and her pappy know that the bull's name was Ferdinand? Because the bulls call him Ferdinand, right, to each other in the beginning of the movie. Then he escapes, ends up on this flower farm, and then they just somehow instinctually know that his name is Ferdinand. There's no way in fuck the bull could have told him that his name was Ferdinand. So unless it was some crazy goddamn coincidence that they just happened to call him the exact same thing, they probably just should, like, there should have been a caller that said Ferdinand or something. You know, because that's, like, the biggest, like, how does how do they know his name is Ferdinand? Um, cause there's no reason why any human outside of the person who named him should know that his name is Ferdinand. That's just, that's just whatever. Um, also I'm not a real big Kate McKinnon fan. I never thought they were funny on SNL. Um, and there's a lot of them in this movie. So, you know, that's a, again, a preference thing. But at the end of the day, it's fine. Did almost make me cry. Therefore, seven out of 10. Romeo and Juliet. Yep, I watched it. Um, 
And I suppose to the movie's credit, I did see the whole thing. So, how bad could it have really been? It was pretty bad. I mean, I don't think I'm gonna blow anybody's minds with that one. Also, I lied um, with the with the Disney Plus thing. I think it was just a bug. the The list is back now, so my my journey continues. Um, and uh, we're we're really close. We're so close. We can do this. Um, yeah. So, Romeo and Juliet told with families of garden gnomes, um, and with as much. Elton John as you could shove in a movie. That's pretty much what this movie is. On paper, it doesn't sound too bad. And to be fair, it isn't that bad. It has some puns. It's got a lot of movie references, pop culture references in this movie. Um, like, there was an American Beauty reference, which was pretty tone deaf in my opinion. Um, there were a lot of Shakespeare references. Like, um... There was a there was a, a bottle of glue that was called like Taming of the Glue or something like that. A lot of that shit. A lot of visual gags. Nothing like overt where they like quote something, but they do that too. Like out out um damn spot they make that reference. So there's a lot of references in this movie. Um not only to pop culture but to Shakespeare. So there's that. The cast is kind of absurd for what this movie is. James McAvoy, Emily Blunt, Michael Caine, Jason Statham. Fucking Maggie Smith, Stephen Merchant, Julie Waters, Jim Cummings, Patrick Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne, Hulk Hogan, Dolly Parton. Like, it's it's kind of an absurd cast um, in terms of talent, which is bizarre. And they all have, like, kind of parts to play, which is which is awesome. Um, it's, it's... With most Romeo and Juliet adaptations, there's a lot of times where it's just, like, just the lines from the play in movie form. This is not that. This is the essence of Romeo and Juliet and essences of scenes. Like, it follows the basic plot in terms of like, you know, Romeo and Juliet meet, they meet up in secret, Tybalt gets his ass kicked, Paris is a character, like it goes through the motions. Um, obviously they both don't die at the end like they do in the actual thing. Um, this one has a happy ending. Uh, and it does that classic... Um, animated movie thing where all the characters dance at the end of the movie for no reason. Um, I, I don't know why that's such a trope. Like, what's the point of, of doing that except to just pad the runtime of a movie where everybody just dances at the end? Um, I don't get that at all. But a lot of movies do it. Not even animation movies. Fucking Labyrinth does it. Muppet Treasure Island does it. I don't get it. I don't know why that why movies end with giant dance scenes. Although I suppose, like, every Bollywood movie I've ever seen does that too, so... I don't... I don't know. I don't understand that as a trope. We... You celebrate, you made it to the end of this movie. Yay! Time to dance. Um, so yeah, it hits all the hallmarks that one would expect from a Romeo and Juliet story without directly quoting the fucking, um, book. Oh, and Patrick Stewart's in this, uh, as well, if, if I didn't say his name. Um, so there's that. It's fine. Um, it's also interesting because this was, this was not made by Disney. Um, I don't think. It was distributed by Disney. Um, who fucking made this? Um, it was made by Entertainment One Films and Walt Disney. Yeah, I guess, I guess it is a Disney movie, technically. Um, but yeah, like, Elton John was an executive producer of the film. And the fucking soundtrack is loaded with Elton John songs, like, Every song in the movie, except for the Tiki 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 Room song, is an Elton John song. Um, or a new Elton John song. He actually recorded new music uh, with um, Lady Gaga for this movie, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. So yeah, it's got a lot of fucking people behind it. Uh, and it's it's okay. I mean, it's not as bad as I was expecting, to be honest with you. I was expecting this movie to be shit. But it's not. It's a 5 out of 10. It's perfectly acceptable. Um, it's a very... You know what? As far as kid movie versions of Shakespeare movies... It's pretty good. It's probably the second best kids movie version of Romeo and Juliet I can think of off the top of my head right here in this fucking moment. And the only other one I can think of is Lion King 2. Because that is also Romeo and Juliet. Sort of. This one hits more of the hallmarks of the actual Romeo and Juliet story than that one does. 
But that one is also just star-crossed lovers and two families fighting. But I think that's where, like, the Romeo and Juliet, uh, like, allegory ends with Lion King. Um, but I'd have to watch it again and think about it in that context. Um, but it's, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I, I did not hate it. I did watch the entire thing. It wasn't unwatchable swill like some of these other ones have been. Um, so there you go. And, uh, even though Sherlock Gnomes is not on this list, uh, and just looking at that right now, it looks like a lot of the, um, it looks like a lot of the original cast came back for that one. Uh, yeah, there's Emily Blunt. There's James McAvoy. There's Michael Caine. There's Maggie Smith. There's Steve Merchant. There's Matt Lucas. There's Ozzy Osbourne. Julie Waters. Yeah, so there you go. Even even the sequel had had a lot of people come back for it. Although I believe Sherlock Gnomes was critically panned. Um, reception. Uh, yeah, 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. So not as good as the first one apparently, but I don't think anyone's going to be really surprised by that. But yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, not Sherlock Gnomes. Nomi and Juliet gets a five out of ten. I don't, you know, that's that's a movie for kids for sure. Um, just in case anybody was a anybody was wondering. Iron Man and Captain America: Heroes United, the sequel to Iron Man and Hulk: Heroes United. They only ever made two of these incredibly shitty animated movies and for that I am eternally grateful because they are not good and they are not good at all in the slightest it is kind of impressive um how how poorly animated these fucking movies are um but hey you know what sometimes that's just the way of it and things are just bad and sometimes that's just you know sometimes things are just poorly animated and you can't you can't help it but they also try to avoid it by having it where it's like they wear their, their helmets most of the time or stuff like that. It's really apparent how bad the animation is when you're watching the characters, like, speak. Because then it's just, like, they have, like, three frames of mouth movement. It's just, like, I get, I get, I get, I get. So, animation's trash. It's, like, a, it's like a one out of ten. Um, and it gets a one because I did technically finish it, but I did not enjoy myself. It's a terrible movie. It's not funny, it's not well written, the animation's trash. There's nothing really redeeming about this. Um, basically, Red Skull uh, and Taskmaster try to make an army of super soldiers with Captain America's strength and his uh, strategy and his fucking shields, basically. Um, and then the Hulk just shows up in Wreck Shop and then that's basically the end of the movie. So, yeah, I don't know, I don't know why they decided to like fucking shit these two movies out these heroes united movies but they are not good movies just kind of full stop bar none um i just can't can't recommend them can't can't do it there's there's nothing there's nothing there for you you know it's just it's not for marvel fans it's not for animation fans nobody benefits from seeing this movie so can't recommend it skip it skip it for the love of god it's just utter trash Isle of Dogs is um, the second Wes Anderson movie that's on Disney Plus after Fantastic Mr. Fox. And um, Isle of Dogs, I never saw Isle of Dogs, so this is my first time seeing it. It's pretty good. Um, it's about a, a uh, 20 years in the future, Japan basically bans all dogs and sends them to this trash island. And the, the mayor's nephew misses his dog, goes on an adventure to try and find his dog. Uh, ends up finding the dog and through a series of wild adventures and mishaps uh, brings all dogs back to Japan and it's it's a, it's a sweet story um, it has a fairly robust vocal cast which I will now le read off to you all um, in classic me tradition we've got the vocal stylings of Crying Branston uh, Ned Orton uh, uh, I guess Jeff Goldblum kind of works out. Bill Murray. Uh, let's see who else we got on here. Francis McDormand. Scarlett Johansson. Harvey Keitel. F. Murray Abraham. Yoko Ono. Tilda Swinton. Ken Watanabe. Liev Schreiber. Uh, Roman Coppola. Angelica Houston. And uh, the narrator was Courtney B. Vance. Um, what is interesting about this movie is all of the dogs speak in English. And then all of the human characters, save for the foreign exchange student from Ohio, uh, speak Japanese. 
and are performed by Japanese actors, uh, including uh, Kira Takayama, um, Ken Watanabe, uh, already already said him. Uh, who else is in there? Uh, Kunichi Nomura and uh, Koyi Rankin played uh, Atari the Kid. Um, and there's many, many others in here as well, which is a... It was an interesting kind of back and forth. The movie's very funny. Um, what got me every time was the dog sneezing. Uh, I thought that was adorable and just just made me smile every time because it's like just kind of thrown in the background or like when you least expect it, a dog will sneeze. And I just thought that was cute. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very well done cute movie, and uh, I I enjoyed it. The animation, of course, is kind of. Uh, you know, it's it, it goes without saying that it's amazing because it's stop motion and that's always just incredible to watch that actually like in in practice like 2,000 fucking puppets or something like that used in this movie. It was insane. Um, but it was done very well and I, I like this movie a lot. I think I like it more than Fantastic Mr. Fox, quite frankly. Um, but the, you know, it's, cl- it's very Wes Anderson-y. If you've never seen a Wes Anderson movie, they are filmed in a very particular style. There's a very particular humor to it. It's it's so, like... It's hard to find another director where it's like... You just kind of nod your head and go, Yep, that's a Wes Anderson movie. But they're all kind of like this. He has a really particular style. But, um... Shit's funny. So, it works. Uh, and I, I very, very much enjoyed this movie. I would give it... I'm thinking... Hmm... I didn't think about this. Um, thinking, thinking nine out of ten. Thinking nine out of ten. It's a, it's a very good movie, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. So definitely worth a watch. The Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, I am one of. Well, not. I mean. It's not that much of a big deal to say you've seen the original holiday special, uh, but I have, and I can I can safely say that the second holiday special is better than the first one. I can safely say that. What I can't say is that it's good. It's not really. It's it's pretty boring, um, which is a shame because not only does it have like. It's better than the first one. Hooray. It's not very good. Well, why isn't it very good? Lego is funny. Like, any Lego game, most of the Lego movies, most of the Lego shorts, pretty entertaining. Like, they always have, like, a really good, solid sense of humor in their stuff. And I don't know what happened to the people that are funny that work at Lego, but they were not a part of this movie. And it's not very funny. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest sins, is that people went into that expecting good jokes because it's Lego. And the fact that Lego content has been synonymous with humor is mind-blowing in and of itself. It's just a series of toys. But if I said Lego is funny, people would be like, yeah, Lego products are pretty funny. Um, except for the actual default Lego products, which are just entertaining. But this isn't. Um, and it, it's this weak time travel story of Ray just, like, kind of bouncing through some of, like, the greatest hits of the series. Um, and it really does put the emphasis on the sequel trilogy of characters. And I don't like the sequel trilogy of characters, so there wasn't anything for me there either. I mean, it's... It's fine. It's still not worth watching. Honestly, I think I prefer the original one. Because... At least that you know what you're getting into. This one disappointed me. You know, the first one is a is a unique, like, cocktail of what the fuck. This one was like, no, you, like, you knew what you had to do in order to make this successful, and they didn't really do it, and it just kind of, it just kind of doesn't really do a whole lot, and it's not very interesting. Nor did it put me in the holiday spirit, so... It kind of failed all across the border. As a movie, I mean, like, 4 out of 10. It's just not very good. It's just not worth watching, really. Even if you're a super-duper Dar... Dar... Darhide? Die Hard. There we go. Die Hard Star Wars fan. I don't believe there's anything here for you. Only death and sadness. This one was totally new to me. Miraculous World, New York... 
United Heroes was a TV special for a show called Ladybug and Cat Noir, I think is what it's called. It's on Netflix for some reason, um, even though it is owned. I'm guessing like streaming rights and stuff like that. Because it's currently... Sorry, I just finished working out too, so that's why I'm... Gonna, <laughs> out of breath. Um, I'm guessing streaming rights is why it's currently on Netflix. Uh, whatever the actual show is called on. Ladybug. Uh, it's called... Yeah, it's called Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. Um, there are four seasons currently, with a fifth season, I believe, either in production or currently airing. Um, like on actual TV. And this is the first one of these, like, movies where it ties into a show where I actually, A, watched the whole thing, and B, now want to watch the show. So, it is a French superhero magical girl show. It's, it's, it's like, if you had, it's like a, it's almost like a western anime. Um, very magic girly, uh, like transformation sequences, named attacks you know it's very anime from that perspective um the characters are actually really strong um because you've got ladybug whose actual name is uh like marionette or something like that uh and she's in high school and then you got cat noir who is this uh rich kid named adrian who is marionette's best friend and uh they're also in, you know they're both in high school together for some unfathomable reason, uh, I think they briefly explained it in this movie, they don't realize that, like, their best friend is also their partner in crime for being superheroes, and for some inexplicable reason, they don't tell each other this. So that's a thing, um, I'm sure that the show explains. There are feelings had, for sure, pretty much this entire movie is about Marionette not being able to come to terms with her feelings for Adrian. Um, and him just having no fucking clue, just being, we're friends, um, completely clueless, uh, at least in this movie. I don't know where this movie falls in terms of the canon. This isn't like, normally the, with these movies, they're done at the end of the show to wrap up the show. They're usually finales, but the show is still very much ongoing and there's a big like feature length film in progress. So this, this show is big. And it's very popular. It was like rated the best animated show to come out in 2015. It's still being made. Animation's pretty fucking good, if I'm honest. Um, the voice acting was solid. Uh, I checked the cast. I don't remember their names, but I didn't recognize like anybody on that list. Um, but they're doing an excellent job. The the plot of, of I mean, the, what the movie is about doesn't really matter. Because, um, like, I enjoyed it, but I think I enjoyed it because I'm like already invested in these characters. Um, although, to be fair, I wasn't invested beforehand, and after seeing the movie, I am invested. So the movie does a pretty good job of bringing me into that world and caring about these characters. And from what I can tell, because again, I haven't seen the show, there are these artifacts that are imbued with um, these little demons, uh, and they're called Miraculous, um, that give really specific superpowers. Um... The, with uh with ladybug i'm guessing she has she can activate like this lucky charm that just magically turns into whatever item she needs it to be in order to solve the problem uh and she also has the power to fix any problem i don't think i don't know if it's any problem or like like all that damage done to like a city she can just repair all of that damage so i i don't know the extent of that power but that seems pretty broken and as far as I can tell, Cat Noir's power is called Cataclysm, and he just kills whatever it touches. So, that's interesting for a kid's show. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems really good. And it's got your classic character, you know, like classroom character tropes. There's like the, the popular bitch, and then there's like the two uh, nerdy friends. And like one of them like activates, or runs the blog for the ladybug hero, and so on and so forth. It does seem like... This movie screams that there's a lot of history with these characters, which makes sense because there are five seasons of the show and it's still ongoing. So, yeah, I mean, as a standalone movie, I think it's okay. I mean, like six out of ten, it's not going to blow your mind. But I'm sitting here being like, everything that that movie was is like what I look for in a show um, to enjoy. So I'm probably going to just 
sprint over to Netflix and just start watching it because I fucking loved it. Um, so, yeah. Objectively, as a movie, 6 out of 10. It's not bad. It's not great. They do some interesting things, though, um, that I want more information of. Uh, like, there were these uh, two characters who, when they were in their superhero mode, uh, portrayed themselves as male because the history of those heroes was that they were... Um, like male individuals but they were both female um, and uh, that was an interesting dynamic uh, where it was just like that like they it was it was also it was like a mother and daughter pair and the like the mom in that pair is also in a lesbian relationship with another hero so there's layers of shit here and I think it's I think it's really interesting um, to, to dive into and I mean, <laughs> If this was a serious finale thing, those the main characters absolutely would have gotten together and they, there would have been like that fucking, oh, they finally kissed moment. Um, but that didn't happen because this is like in the middle of the show. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just interested in seeing like what the show really is. It could be like a villain of the week type deal. It could be, it could be a million things. Um, but it is, the movie was good enough that I want to watch the show and at the end of the day, what more could this movie really have done for me besides make me want to consume more of this media? So, good job on that front. Um, yeah, it was it was just really good. Like I'm, I'm I want to wrap this up just so I can start episode one. Is where I'm at right now. Prep and landing and prep and landing naughty and nice are two Christmas themed short films that I watched in spring because you know they're the things on the list um prep so it's two different specials but i i watch them both at the same time so i'm going to review them both at the same time um prep and landing is about a disgruntled old elf named wayne or clancy or i don't fucking remember and he is part of this this team of elves that go to houses for kids um and like prepare for santa's arrival by like pre-fluffing stockings and making sure that the tree is um, the right height to stash the present underneath and stuff like that. And uh, old disgruntled elf almost screws up this kid's Christmas, but then doesn't. It's pretty much the plot of uh, the first 20 minute special. It's fine. Um, it's Christmas special. And I do like Christmas specials. So there's that. Uh, but it's okay. I mean, you know, five out of 10. It's not going to blow your mind, but it's fine. Uh, Prep and Landing, Naughty and Nice is the same characters from the first movie, just with a bit more going on. Uh, like, a brother shows up, and they basically need to go to this kid's house and steal back a remote control that they stole from the elves, and they were trying to hack into the system in order to take themselves off the naughty list and put themselves on the nice list. Um, and apparently their brother was, like, the naughty one or something like that. I can't remember um, what the the thing was for that but blah 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 kid learns a lesson and it's just more christmas magic you crap so again probably another five out of ten they're both okay together as a package they're they're fine they're well animated they're well voice acted but you know it's it's fine it won't blow your mind but nor will it make you puke so totally average Last but certainly not least, the final movie on Disney Plus's animated movie list, as of recording this, because I'm sure they'll add more, uh, is Rio from 2011, made by Blue Sky Studios. And this movie, more than anything else, um, causes me to lament the loss of Blue Sky Studios. Uh, because, of course, when Disney bought uh, 20th Century Fox, they shut down Blue Sky Studios, um, which is super unfortunate. So, yeah, I mean, some of their movies are not the greatest, like the Ice Age franchise. But Rio, the Peanuts movie, Ferdinand, and Epic uh, were all really fucking good. Um, and it's, it is unfortunate that that studio is dead now. Um, you know, I, I love Disney as much as anybody, as evidenced by me watching everything on Disney+. Plus. Um, and the movies aren't gone. They're just owned by Disney now. So, you know, you can still see them. But I don't know. 
animation competition is always a good thing. And generally, um, well, not generally, but, you know, every now and then a, another studio besides Disney will make an animated film. And that variety tends to lead to some really good things like Rio, which I would argue does a better job of uh, presenting uh, Brazilian culture and all that stuff than uh, fucking the three caballeros or um, uh, saludos amigos. Uh, and it's really it like the similarities between the two movies are are pretty apparent, but or the three movies I should say, but it's only apparent because they both are about Brazilian culture. And so like you've got birds that dance. That's that's basically the the, the culmination. But I I enjoy Rio more. Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros are basically just a bunch of short stories kind of stapled together as part of that care package, right? But Rio is an actual fucking movie uh, with, like, a narrative and stuff like that. Um, and so, yes. So, for those of you who haven't seen Rio, which I imagine is many of you, um, essentially what happens is uh, a blue macaw is smuggled out of Brazil when they're a baby, and then they end up in Minnesota, um, and, like, this little girl raises uh, the, the macaw, whose name is Blue, um, for 15 years. And then an ornithologist from Brazil tracks down this blue macaw, they don't say how, but he tracks it down and goes like, this is the last male of his species. We've got a female in Rio. Let's get him boning. And so Blue and his caretaker, uh, Linda, get on a plane and go down to Rio. And uh, they meet uh, Jewel, the other Blue Macaw, um, who is voiced by Anne Hathaway. Blue is voiced by Jesse Eisenberg. Probably the first and only time Jesse Eisenberg has not bothered me in a movie. Um, like, that whole Lex Luthor thing really kind of fucking ruined him for me. Um, and I suppose they're also in Zombieland, but I honestly don't remember anything about Zombieland. I thought they were great in this role. Kind of nerdy, kind of dweeby, perfect for the part. I loved it. So, that was totally great with me. And Anne Hathaway can... Anne Hathaway could murder somebody in front of me and I would still be like, you're amazing Anne Hathaway. So yeah, fucking always perfect in anything she's in. Um, like fuck, I loved her in the princess diaries. Uh, and then of course she's Catwoman in dark Knight rises. I love Anne Hathaway to pieces. Um, so that's, that's good. But yeah, they meet up and you know, naturally they don't hit it off because he's, from the states and she's like a, a wild born blue macaw and he can't fly because he's uh he was domesticated and all this shit uh blah 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 movie happens blah 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 bad guy's dumb bad guy's really dumb nigel didn't do like anything for me i love jermaine clement a bunch you know flight of the Conquerors. that shit's great he's also in moana as the giant crab does a great job and he does get a song in this movie, and that song is meh. Um, there are a lot of original songs in this movie. My favorite one, probably the best scene in the whole film, is when they go to, like, the Bird Dance Club, and there's a, a, a song performed by Will I Am and Jamie Foxx, who are, like, the side comic relief characters, um, after the George Lopez uh, toucan. And I haven't heard or seen George Lopez do a thing in a very long time. So hearing his voice after a very long time was like oh my god is that fucking george that's george lopez wow what the hell happened to george lopez i have no idea um what is he up to nowadays i have absolutely no idea uh what the hell he's doing he was really big when i was a kid and um that's kind of it um i don't i don't honestly know apparently he's still making movies and shit um so good for him good for you george lopez Good for you. Anyway, he's in this movie. And he does a great job. He does a great job. All of the all the performances in this movie are done very well. And Jermaine Clement does a good job. I just didn't care for his character. Um, which, as far as villains go, was pretty ineffective to the overall plot. Um, you could have just made like the humans more competent. And then it would have fit the same bill. Um, and he it really seemed like he only had like one line... In the film, and that was "Hello, pretty bird." He just said that like 15 times. If you took a shot every time he said "Pretty bird," you'd be dead by the end of the movie. Um, so yeah, that that villain wasn't great. Um, 
the there are there's a lot of love there's two love stories in this movie there's there's fucking blue and jeweled birds and then there's linda and tulio the the caretaker for blue and then the ornithologist um and they all get to you know they all end up happily ever after in the end of this movie uh even going so far as to adopt a random orphan child who helps them find the birds um which you know that's that's fine it makes for a happy ending but you know it's that you know that sort of stuff um i personally don't mind the the romantic stories i thought they were great but then again i'm a fucking sap so there you go um yeah i very much enjoyed this movie i fucking love birds um the 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 music of the movie was really good uh except for like that one thing and i will forever hate madagascar for making animated movies think they need to have the fucking lemurs in every goddamn movie the fucking monkeys in this movie are only there because of the fucking lemurs from madagascar and studios being like kids loved those lemurs we need that in our movie no no you don't i fucking hated those lemurs so yeah it's it's a dumb fucking trope um like this movie has a lot of really good highs and i was irritated when it did something stupid because without the dumb shit there's a really good goddamn fucking movie here but it got it got knocked down a couple of points so because of all the dumb shit so because of the dumb shit which I feel like I've gone over a little bit. Um, it only gets an 8 out of 10. I love how it says it only gets an 8 out of 10. Um, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's one of it was a surprise for me. I, I was I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And I'm very grateful that I was able to end this marathon on a high note of Rio. Um, I know there's a sequel uh, that came out three years later. I haven't seen it. It's not on Disney Plus. Um, so it doesn't matter. Where is it actually? Where can I where can I watch it? Um, nowhere apparently. Uh, yeah, you can only watch it for money right now. But it's owned by Disney, so it's only a matter of time um, before it ends up on on Disney Plus. Um, but yeah, there you go. Tell you what, let's let's end this shit right. Well, we did it. I have absolutely no idea how many movies it was, um, because unfortunately, throughout the many weeks and months it took to actually record this entire mini-series of podcasts, um, many movies have been added, and unfortunately, many movies have been removed. In fact, in recording this podcast over the last couple of weeks, Epic is no longer available on Disney+, Plus, um, which is a damn shame, because that was a good movie. Um... And it's kind of flabbergasting that Disney wouldn't have, like, oh, I don't know, every movie they own on their fucking service. Certainly, that would just be beneficial to you, but whatever. This isn't this isn't about Disney's Disney Plus streaming practices. This is about the quality of their movies. The overall library, I would give a 6 out of 10. There are some excellent, phenomenal, mind-blowingly amazing movies on this list. And then there are some movies on this list that I wouldn't recommend to my worst enemies. It very much is a mixed bag, but overall I would rate this movie collection as slightly above average. There are a lot of excellent films in this in this list, and I did enjoy watching all of these things. Um, now that it's over, I'm a little sad. This on you know, this like having a project like this, watching every animated movie on Disney Plus. Um, I don't know, it just gives you gives you something to do. And now that it's done, um, I I feel I am richer for it. I feel like uh, movies are more predictable now because I'm I've seen so many different styles and stories of movies that I'm not like when I am surprised by a movie that movie like is is incredible in my eyes. If a movie takes me by surprise now, it's it's just like a whole other level. Um, but I hope you have enjoyed listening to me review every animated piece of media on Disney Plus that falls under the movie category. Um, because many of those were not movies. Uh, many of them were TV specials. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. If I had to recommend, I mean, right now, if I had to recommend a movie, I would tell you to go watch Rio. There's lots of movies I would recommend. Um, but my, my advice will be for this. If you go to movies on Disney Plus and you hit animation, 
and you pick a movie at goddamn random, chances are you're gonna be okay. You're gonna you're gonna have a good time. Just shut your brain off, get a snack, get some get some drinks, and enjoy uh, an animated piece of media, and see where it takes you. And I will see you all in the next episode where we will do something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Bye, everybody.